It's that day. It's the day that horror fans around the world will celebrate no matter how many times a year we get it. And there's a special reason why this episode is dropping on this date. We are here, creeps, to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Marcus Nispel's Friday the 13th. 2009, horror fans came out in droves to see a remake of a classic slasher. And we had to take the opportunity to sit down, revisit it, and see how we all feel about it 15 years later. I'm Justin. I'm B-Ratty. And on this special bonus anniversary episode, we are joined by the god of podcasting himself, returning to Epic Film, guys, Loisauce. Crawling out from my underground tunnels to jump on the mic once again. Yes. You know, I'm still, I'm still pissed off because years ago, I signed up for the Patreon where I was going to get crusty old socks from you. And the, those, I've seen you a couple times now, and I have not received them. Those <laughs> must have gotten lost in the mail. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. With me moving. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I do think we had a large box of them. They smelled really fucking bad. They were really disgusting. They were not for the faint of heart. And I do think we mailed out some of them. I never heard any feedback if anyone received them or not. So we just assumed people did, and they were so fucking disgusting that people were like, I don't even want to talk about this ever again the rest of my life. So, you know, I think the promises were kept. I'm not totally sure, but I was really drunk like most of those days back my, then. Uh, so. We appreciate you, patrons, and if you want any socks, um, just let us know. Oh, yeah. we'll get those socks. They are available. <laughs> but yes, ladies and gentlemen, Friday the 13th, the remake. I know, you know, it's a discussion, a very hot topic in the horror community. It comes up probably every single day uh, on social media and such, or in f- groups of friends, if you will, about remakes. You know, are they necessary? Do we need them? Is the remake better than the original? Um, you know, it, I've always been a proponent and a supporter of remakes, reboots, sequels, all that shit, because it's been part of Hollywood since the dawn of filmmaking itself. And this is one of those rare remakes that when it came out, a lot of people saw it. It made a shit ton of money. I mean, right off the fucking bat, guys. $19 million budget, and it made $92.7 million. As of right now, it is the highest grossing solo Friday the 13th movie of all time. Uh, in terms of the entire franchise, it's only second to Freddy vs. Jason. Um, but I recall, uh, we kind of go back down into those tunnels again, see if we find Jason and talk about, you know, what the reaction was to the movie, if you guys have any memories of that. I know I do. Um, you know, opening night for me, I'll never fucking forget it. This was one of my most anticipated movies of all time up until that point in time. I mean, uh, the trailers looked great. Uh, I'd been a huge fan of the series at that point. And, you know, Friday the 13th as a franchise was always that one specific horror franchise, at least for me, that felt like forbidden fruit. You know, when you'd go to the video store as a kid, Usually, you'd end up picking one of these or a Nightmare on Elm Street off the shelf to rent. You know, this for me was most definitely the franchise where me and my buddies would sneak it late at night, 
sleep over and watch one of these. Um, so when this remake idea came to be a reality and we saw that first poster and the trailer that kind of was an homage to the original trailer from the first film. I mean, everything about it to me looked great. And I went to a midnight showing at Regal Cinemas in Binghamton. It was not AMC Lowe's like it usually was during that time period. And this is the screening that I've talked about numerous occasions where everyone in that theater was hammered i myself went to the local <laughs> pub shagundas which is no longer in existence a dingy shitty dive bar you know my shit that i love and i got drunk beforehand because i'm like what am i gonna do waiting to see this movie you know and back then it was jameson and i just continuously went so hard and i went to see this by myself this was the screening that i flicked quarters at dudes heads because they wouldn't shut up during the movie but to keep a long story short, I saw the movie and I didn't walk out knowing exactly how I felt. So as I told you guys the other night when we, you were both over, which is crazy that I had you both over at the same time. That's like a fucking miracle. Um, you know, I went and saw it again two times that weekend by myself. And I found this movie to be like extremely special and something that I was never going to forget and an event for me. Um, I'll start with you. Brian, do you remember the first time you saw the Friday the 13th remake? Well, I was too young to see it in the theater because I'm <laughs> yep. a wee little baby boy. And uh, so I didn't catch it until it was on DVD. Uh, there were a group of friends together and uh, I was over at their place and I watched it. And um, at the time, I thought, well, this is just another shitty remake um so i I, my opinion on it was not kind at the at the time but uh you know as the years have gone on i've reevaluated it and um i'd say it's uh in the uh, upper tiers of the franchise though though not top tier um and we can get into all that but i think this is one of those movies that if you watched it you know in the year 2009 and you haven't seen it since and you hated it the first time, give it another watch because there's stuff in there to appreciate. Very well said. Be ratty. You, who are a very well-known Friday the 13th fanatic on the show, Yeah. what was your first experience with it? Uh, Well, much like Brian, I was too young to go to the theater to see this when it came out, Um, but I also wasn't allowed to watch horror. Uh, But luckily for me, my parents were going through a really bad divorce at this time, so I was at a friend's house, uh, and his mom was that kind of parent that let him just kind of watch whatever was like, Hey, I'll be the cool mom. Here's a movie. <clears throat> so we went to a video store in Spotsylvania, Virginia, and, uh, we were looking and he was like, Oh, I want to, I want to get this one Friday the 13th. And I had never seen another Friday the 13th before this. I had seen most of the original one, um, but hadn't seen anything else. And I had seen trailers for for this this movie um do you guys remember the daniel craig movie defiance that came out in like 2008 no oh and he was like they're the um the jewish brothers who are like helping uh people escape nazi germany uh but anyways went to see that with my dad and no the, fucking clue the man. trailer no. for friday the 13th played so i had known what it was and i was like man that looks cool um and so you know we get it my friend, he was like, man, I think they show tits in this movie. And I was like, I'm down. You know, we were both 14. Boy, do and, they. Right. The boy, do they. And uh, watched it 
you know, loved it at 14. I was like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. You could say maybe my love for the franchise started there. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you know, as an adult revisiting it and, you know, watching it with the franchise, you know, like Brian said, it's, it's not like it's top tier of the franchise. And I think anybody who comes to Friday the 13th, you know, falls in love with their own set of movies. Like I'm sure all three of us could rank our top five and they'd be separate and different. Um, but it is a really fun movie. I think it holds up. Um, and like Brian said, if, if you haven't seen it since then, you go back now, I really think you're going to be surprised and maybe have a different opinion on it. Um, in terms of like the big three franchises that were going through remakes at this time, I think this is by far the best. Oh, um, no question. 100%. 100%. Uh, it's not a very high bar, but I, I do think it's the most fun um, and and makes something that's the same, but also a little different. So that's my experience well, I, with it. To that point, I think it's pretty clear, and we could all agree on this, that it's also probably the easiest to redo. Um, you know, Shannon and Swift said it themselves, and this is a quote they stated when they were making the movie. Uh, These movies are about sex, drugs, violence, and boozing. That's what it is. And... I mean, that couldn't be more fucking true. This is something that, you know, the first time I ever met Jeremy, who's not on the episode this evening, um, when I met him for the first time, we actually bonded over our love of Nightmare on Elm Street, and we talked about this movie and how we both agreed that it was underrated, underappreciated. And in terms of, like, what they were trying to do and what the movie ended up becoming, they're, they're, they're pretty close. Um the film was originally conceived, of course, as an origin story, but eventually re- evolved into basically a reimagining of the first four Friday the 13th films. They decided to, you know, keep, you know, zombie Jason for, you know, future movies, but stick to that original concept of what those first four movies were. And for me, being a huge fan of those first four movies, um, I, I have to say this, I've been outspoken about it for years, uh, the first movie being my least favorite of those get first the, four. Get the fuck out of here. Um, listen, Betsy Palmer, get the fuck out of here. All right. But, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the concept of what these movies are supposed to be, it's a drive in movie, it's an exploitation movie in its purest form. These movies were churned out for people to go on date nights, young teenagers, make out, get scared, you know, have a great time, throw popcorn in the fucking air, air and just smoke a joint. Just like the kids in the movie, it's it's a party movie, um, and in terms of that, I feel like the movie captures that pretty well. Now, a huge issue that I hear a lot of people complaining about is that well, it doesn't feel like those movies. There's an obvious reason for that. Those movies were made in the '80s, which is the pinnacle of the slasher movie, and these movie this movie takes place in modern day, so it's gonna look different. It's well, gonna feel different. Modern day being the mid two thousands or late late two thousands, um, but this was part of like the glut of like horror remakes and reboots that were coming out at the time, and uh, a lot of those are very much of their time. I would argue that this one is as well, but maybe less egregiously so. Um, but you had like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Amityville Horror, Prom Night, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, like uh, just pretty much every horror movie that came out in the 70s or 80s was remade. 
Yeah, yeah. 100%. And you could argue, I, too, that this isn't even really a remake. It's more of an, an amalgamation of parts one through four and, and a very clever amalgamation, I think, too. I mean, you could have you could have approached this so many different ways. And it's very clear that the screenwriters who you mentioned, Shannon and Swift, were, were big fans because this feels like uh, they got their opportunity to 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 come to bat with a Friday 13th movie and they were like we're going to knock it out of the park we're going to make kind of if you will like the ultimate Friday the 13th movie and packed it full of references and and all the rest of it yeah yeah we'll definitely get to some of those references you know Shannon and Swift were not newcomers to the franchise they had also had their hand in Freddy versus Jason and you know while that movie plays better as a nightmare movie than it does a Friday movie um, Jason being the weaker aspect of that movie, in my opinion, I, they still understood what made that important and what fans would want to see with the character, you know, all except the one thing they couldn't fucking control, which is that we wanted to see Kane fucking hotter. But, you know, that's 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 a discussion for another episode altogether. Um, but they, they knew they were fans and they knew what they wanted to do. And I think they had the most pure vision for what this movie was supposed to be. And I think everyone involved, you know, they were on board for the same idea, which on paper sounds like the perfect way to approach a new modern interpretation of Friday the 13th. Even so much so that I would say the same blueprint they had for this movie could be utilized today and, you know, reworked fresh eyes on it and still come out and be like, think about what these movies are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And this movie comes really close to capturing all of that. Um, I think the biggest positive for me here, we're going to get into characters, but we need to talk about the man under the motherfucking hockey mask, Jason Voorhees himself, Derek Mears, which I will put in top three Jason Voorhees performances personally. Um, he's a lean, mean killing machine. He's fast. He's animalistic. I mean, this guy lives off the land for real. I really do appreciate the real world version of this character, which makes sense within the context of what they were trying to do here. Um, we, you know, up until this point, we were used to zombie Jason. You know, we had CJ Graham, Kane Hodder, you know, and then what we saw after that, um, you know, and Freddy versus Jason, it was all slow moving Jason. And here we're back to the Ted White, super fast paced, like I'm going to rip your throat out and fucking eat it. Uh, Jason Voorhees. I just, Personally, I love the design of the character. I, I love what he did in terms of the physical nature. He's got this presence to him. He really put in a performance the same way that Kane Hodder did when he first put on the hockey mask. What do you guys think about Mirrors Under the Hockey Mask? Go ahead, Brady. Um, <laughs> Are we really going to wait? Talk over each other, damn it. You know, he he's fine. Um, I... Just fine, uh, just like really? the movies, I think we all find different Jasons we love. So you know, part four is my favorite uh, version of Jason. Um, but I do like how Mears does bring different aspects to it. Like, if you're taking a movie that we've already said has taken the best parts of one through four, and you're applying it to a new to a new actor portraying Jason, you know that's a, a tough job, tough shoes to fill. Uh, and I think he does do a really good job with doing that. Um, Unfortunately, you're always going to get the people who go, well, that's not my version of Jason, or that's not the Jason that I saw that scared me in 1984 or 1985, whenever. Uh, but yeah, his, the way that he moves is very distinct. Um, it's not quite as lumbersome. It's not as awkward at times. It's it's a killer. It's it's 
kind of how um, Rob Zombie presented the shape in Michael Myers in his remake. Like it, he moves more like a shark. He's very determined. He's a hunter. He's a killer in this one. He's he's um, not the wild mentally challenged man who lives in the woods in part two anymore like he has this intricate system of tunnels where he's popping up and, and scaring the shit out of you and you know there are things that we'll talk about with the camera work and, and some musical things that I, I think are a detriment to his portrayal of the character but as far as mirrors is concerned i i do think he does a, a decent job brian <laughs> oh it's my turn to speak okay yeah, thank yeah. you very much not um, anymore no Never mind. <laughs> no i i i'm a fan of mirrors jason i mean uh, he, well, first of all, he just seems like a genuine great guy. Like everyone who's ever worked with Derek Mears has nothing but nice things to say about him. And it's kind of interesting how often these horror icons are played by just like big softies, just like guys who are, are uh, they always have the well-being of the fellow cast and crew in mind um, when they're performing some of these stunts and kills. Um and and not only that, but he's he's a huge fan of the character, and 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 always has been. I mean, he said that when he was young, he had alopecia, uh, his, all of his hair fell out, and he connected to young Jason. And uh, that I mean, that's special. You don't find that uh, in a in an actor play, getting a chance to play a character like this that he, that he connected to as a kid. And I would love to see him play the character again because, he, as as you all have 100%, said, one hundred percent, he's yeah. he's agile, he's merciless. Um, he has this great like athleticism about him, this imposing physicality that is very rare to see in other portrayals of Jason. Um, aside from like a Ted White or a, or a uh, Kane Hodder. So um, again, if there's a Friday the Thirteenth Part Thirteen, I think we know who to call. Yeah, and it's very interesting to say, piggybacking off what you mentioned, he was a huge fan of the character so much so that once he heard about the project, he had already began training and started doing physical things so he could prep to try to pursue the role. And when he got, you know, involved and they were doing an audition of sorts, you know, like you said, Brian, they said to him, like, you're really fucking nice. Are you going to be able to switch over to, like, Jason Voorhees mode? And he had, you know, relayed to them that he cage fights. He's got dad issues. So, yeah, he can fuck (laughs) some shit up. You know, and he, he does a wonderful job. You can tell that the guy under the mask really cared about what he was doing. And I'm not saying that, you know, the other actors from the other films didn't feel the same. But at the same time, by this point, you know what you're playing. You're playing a fucking icon. This is a different uh, viewpoint to have when you're playing a character in a reimagining this many years after the fact than someone that, you know, for example, like I love Richard Brooker, but when he played the character in part three, he was just a stunt guy that was asked to do a role. It wasn't like this huge, massive uh, amount of importance on his shoulders. He just did the best job he could, and he did a great job in that that film. But I love when you have a guy playing the character that really cherishes it and really puts all the effort they possibly can into it. So for me, that's why he's top three, 100% right next to Kane and Ted White. Um, But moving past that, and we can get to other aspects of the character himself in the movie, what do you guys think about the other characters in the movie? Because we know this franchise, it's always about like the unique different characters we meet. They're all going to hang out, party, have sex. You know, they're all usually uniquely written and individual. What do you guys think? I, I mean, the the 
the dead meat, I should say, uh, in the cast, um, the, the teenagers. I mean, I mean, really, uh, this movie, a big shock, is about a group of kids who come to Camp Crystal Lake to party and they're killed off one by one. This isn't exactly rocket science, but I think it's entirely possible that they could have written some more likable characters here. I mean, uh, we open the movie with a group of of characters that are slightly more likable than the ones we end up with when the movie proper starts after the title. Because, um, you know, they each have their own kind of different personalities and, um, you know, the characters have, have this kind of banter. Um, they're talking about piss and pissing and pissing in each other's mouths and drinking each other's piss. And, <laughs> uh, and it's like, you have my attention, movie. You're speaking my language and I'm listening. But... Um, then, then you know, once those characters are killed off, we're introduced to a whole new group, and it's kind of hard after that to become invested in them after we've kind of become invested in these other characters. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, they had to they had to bring in a, a teen heartthrob with Jared Pat- Padalecki, who was uh, you know on on Supernatural at the time. Uh, Danielle Panabaker. Uh, th- these characters are fine, and they try to give Clay, uh, Jared Padalecki's character, a little bit of, uh, I-, I don't know, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of uh, soul to his character, and that he's trying to find his uh, uh, sister who's gone missing in the woods. Um, but to me, that doesn't really amount to a whole lot. They didn't really do a great job of establishing that emotional connection between the siblings. And um, he's not a very dynamic character um or or uh, yeah. you know he's he's not necessarily a character with any personality other than my sister's missing and i'm worried about her and um, i'm really attractive and i look good in a fucking tight t-shirt. and i can smolder well sure very the, true with, with yeah. the he does a great smolder he yeah. does for sure and then you have like the the uh you know the stereotypical black guy and the and the asian stoner and the and the slut and it's like all of these stock characters that they don't even necessarily even try. And I'm not saying like again, this is a Friday the Thirteenth movie. We're not exactly. dealing with the 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 depths of the of the human spirit here. But uh, they they could have they could have tried a little bit harder, in my opinion. No, I agree. I mean, it's <laughs> it's definitely cookie cutter characters. Again, because if you look at some of the other Friday the 13th, I mean, again, I'm bringing up examples of the best ones here, but you have, you know, Crispin Glover and Corey Feldman in the final chapter, and then you have, um, you know, Tommy Jarvis and um, and Megan, the blonde girl, in, in uh, part six. So, you know, you have memorable characters throughout these these films. You have some pretty unmemorable characters too, but it, these these don't even rise to unmemorable i think it's just like they're actively bad in my opinion yeah and i think it was one of the major complaints when the movie first came out and those complaints continue to this day is the fact that most people just find these characters unlikable and to your point the first group of kids which they kind of pull like a psycho janet lee psycho thing here where you're, you you meet these kids, and even if you see the trailer, you know there's other kids you're going to meet. But in the context of if you're just sitting down to watch the movie, didn't know anything about it, you'd be like, oh, these are the kids I'm going to watch throughout the movie. And I personally think that the biggest high in the movie, like the best aspect, is the opening of the movie. It has great tension, fantastic suspense, the imagery that builds around these characters. And for me, 
this group feels the most like what we were used to at that point, which are like basically no-name American Pie ripoff characters. I mean, even if you look at the character of Richie played by Ben Feldman, he looks just like an American Pie character or, you know what I mean? Like, the other thing about this, and I'm not hating on the movie having all attractive people, but at the same time, everyone in this movie looks like a fucking model. Even the people that are supposed to be like, just Joe Schmo, I'm just sitting on the couch like, you know, you mentioned generic black guy in the movie and he's sitting there and he's having to whack off to fucking lingerie and I'm like, this dude's like really fucking attractive and in shape and shit. I'm like, would he really need to be doing that? Um, you like what you I like, digress. you know? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, who who on this show hasn't whacked off to fucking lingerie? I mean, the J.C. Penny catalog back in the day. If that's all, I his his wasn't off. even lingerie. It was like just a, a suburban house was mom it? like outfit. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. I that's mean, attractive. If it's but all like... you got, bro. If it's all you got. But um, no. But I, I to talk about this opening though. I think it really it's impressive. It's awesome. It's mean, and the kids are much more likable. And then after the credits pop up after an extremely amazing kill which we'll get to the kills a little bit later on here um then like you said brian then you're immediately uh introduced to these other characters and that you're meant to care about that you're meant Mm -hmm. to care about and you really don't and the whole my sister is missing angle and you know the sister is uh whitney miller who's in the opening of the movie she's part of that opening cast of characters and you don't really care about these new characters at all you don't i mean when you watch the movie you're like yeah these are kind the kind of characters that would be in a friday the 13th movie it all makes sense you got the asshole jock you know and like all the other characters you mentioned already but for some reason they it just doesn't feel the same as it used to and i don't know if it we could continue to go back to the fact that it's just modern people suck and if this was in the 80s, like, we wouldn't care as much. Because in the 80s, you always had, like, the dumb asshole jock character. But, like, somehow they were likable or cute or something that you, you appreciated about them or they'd be funny here. Like, the Trent character, as soon as you meet him, you can't fucking wait to see him die. And I know that's the point, but at the same time, like, he's not likable at all. Yeah, there's no redeeming quality about Trent throughout this movie. Like most of the time, I feel like with these movies, there's at least one final act or something happens where like maybe they're not a complete douchebag. Or if they are, they get killed off very early in the film. Like um, who's his name in the second one? He's like wearing the black all the time. I always forget his name, but he ends up getting hung upside down and his throat slit after he shoots the rock at her ass. I mean, dude, and even so... In modern terms, that is a despicable character. He's a terrible human being for what he does to her. But somehow you're still, like, smiling when he's, like, using the slingshot. But he gets killed off pretty quickly. He doesn't get to last the whole movie. So, I mean, I get what you're saying about Trent. I mean, I'm not going to rehash what we've already said about characters, but something that always rubbed me wrong, kind of what you were saying, Brian, is, like, this relationship um, between the brother and sister, Clay and Whitney, it's, it's just, it feels... Like, it's not there. It's not built up enough. But he's also, like, I'm constantly making the comparison to Rob from part four. Right, like, which is, it's a, who it's he's a clear homage. Yeah. It's a clear homage, yeah. And that's, I guess, different because, you know, we know as viewers watching part four, if you've seen the other movies, that, like, his sister's dead and he just doesn't know. He's out looking. In this one, you find out that his sister's not dead and then you're supposed to really care about that. But, like, you don't because there's no relationship between them. And even when they are together, it's so you're more invested in him and Danielle Panabaker's character because 
that's who you're you've been around the entire time. So I and felt, also good not not to cut you off, but it's very clear in part four too that Rob's supposed to be a red herring, right? You know what I mean? You might possibly think he could be the killer in that movie. So I mean, here, you know, it's very clear this dude is not the fucking killer. I mean, yeah. there's no way they would cast Jared Padalecki and to be part of a killer situation at all whatsoever. Even though in part four, you technically are like, yeah, it's Jason. We know Jason's back. He's on the loose, so on and so forth. But he's meant to be like a possible suspect. Yeah. Yeah. And there's none of that in this movie. There's no red herrings. You just know right from the get go. And even even the uh, the kids don't suspect it's anything or anybody else. It's just them getting killed off. Which is fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't it, is, that. it is. It is perfectly. It is perfectly fine. I just, I'll, I'll never forget, and I keep going back to this, but seeing this movie opening night, man. You know when that opening hits, and uh, Richie gets the machete to his face a- after he's already got caught in the bear trap, and his leg is mutilated, and he's screaming, mm-hmm. and then the machete. You know, you see Sackhead Jason showing up in all his fucking glory. He looks amazing, and. You know, chops him right in the head, and then the title pops up, and you hear twenty-five minutes into the movie, dude. The whole (laughs) fucking theater roared. And think about this very logically here: when that happened, they didn't do cold opens like that, or the way that they did it, where you didn't see the title. In all the other movies, you would see it usually pop up, and then there'd be like flashbacks to the other movies and stuff. It was very quick, very cheap. Here, they they really build to that moment. They knew what they were doing, and it works very, very well still to this day. Oh, for sure. I mean, just in that opening, you know, Richie's kill is really, really good, especially with the visuals of that bear trap. But I always really loved when the boyfriend, Mike, gets dragged down into the floorboards. Like, there's something very visceral about his performance in that. Like, he looks honestly terrified, as you would be. Um, But the whole little cat and mouse game before that where the knife is coming up through the floorboards and it gets his foot and then it gets his hands and you know he's yelling at her to get in the tub like i think that's all just done really well and and super suspenseful and then i felt i mean i felt more of a relationship between mike and whitney than we get with whitney and clay but i'm not going to keep belaboring that fact no it's very true i mean i think they're a great pair they have a really good chemistry but at the same time i love how you they kill him off so quickly and so brutally and that was and, the second horror remake he got killed off in because he played Bob in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. How in the hell did I not remember that? When you brought that up the other night, I was like, does he just look so different? Yeah, well, I think, I no, I guess he had the same hair, but he had glasses in, in Rob Zombie's Halloween. They Glad- made him look like a really greasy fucking hippie in that movie. Yeah, well, yeah, we don't have to talk about that movie. No, never, ever ever again although i do kind of like it but anyways uh so character wise let's just get away from rob zombie's halloween um i got nothing else i was just trying to segue sorry guys no it's all good you're perfectly fine i mean like i said the characters in this movie are as good as they're possibly going to be um you know if, if i had to pick a really good character my favorite character in the fucking movie is probably donnie you know the, redneck fucking the guy that lost his virginity to a dummy <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> i i like that him. conversation is so good between him and him and the mannequin though yeah it's great and um all he wants to do is smoke weed and do his job you know what i mean or also sell some weed that he found which he actually stole now you guys tell me if this is what you think because this is how i always interpreted it <laughs> is that jason's growing that weed 
Oh, for sure. So this Jason as a, is, as a honeypot to to get teenagers to yeah to come to Crystal Lake. He knows I mean, what he's doing. Yeah, it makes fucking sense. But it's so weird to be like, yeah, Jason. I mean, but this version of the character knows how to hunt. And it, when you watch the other movies, you're not sitting there questioning. At least we're not. Like, man, what does he eat? Like, how does he live? Like, how is he this? The movie kind strong. of the movie kind of sort of but not really answers those questions. Well, yeah, we, just in the fact that he's a hunter and you know that he lives off the land. Like, in order for him to be this big, massive, hulking fucking he had some protein. monster, yeah. you know, he's eaten uh, dead animals and fucking he knows how to live. So I mean, would have to. I gotta ask thing- real quick. Do you going back to the weed thing? Does that mean that in this movie he probably smoked weed? Like Jason smoked weed at some point. I would have to assume so. Wouldn't that be breaking one of the, the rules? Can't do drugs, can't have sex. This movie's breaking all the rules. <laughs> it's Tagline. entirely possible. But rules. we never see it, though. We never see it, though. Yeah. Um, but also that Donnie character, you know, he has one of the most iconic moments in the movie. And, you know, prior to sitting down to record this, I rewatched all the deleted scenes and I still to this day cannot fathom why they removed the original scene between Jason Voorhees and Donnie where he takes the mask off his face. Mm -hmm. It's a great fucking scene. He's just sitting there getting high with the hockey mask on and Jason comes up and he scares him and then he grabs Donnie's head, chops his head off, takes the mask off and puts it on. And in the theatrical version, he kind of just finds the mask there. I mean, I I still like the reveal of the mask. It looks just like the poster. It's got those dark shadows around it. You get the musical cue. He lifts it up out of the blanket and then puts it on. Like I, I get it. The deleted scene would have been really cool, but I think this is just as effective. I, it's better than how he gets the mask in part three. Off oh, screen. from Shelley. Yeah. I mean, listen. Let's be very clear here. I mean, the Donnie character is kind of. It's it's. Not close to a Shelley, but it's a similar type of character here. But I do believe you're correct in saying that it's an iconic moment. They knew what they were doing. They wanted to have that awe, that, you know, crowd cheering moment of when he grabs the mask and puts it on for the first time. And that's why it makes sense as well to have him start with the sack head, which is a amazing visual. He's terrifying with that sack head on in this. Whereas in part two, sure. We all know that it was ripping off the town that dreaded sundown, you know, and in part two, it doesn't necessarily look all that threatening. It looks a little more on the silly side, even though I love part two. Um, but here it looks awesome. It's badass. And then when you get that moment where he puts the hockey mask on, it, it's it kind of changes from there. And then that's the Jason that everyone knows and loves. Mm-hmm. So we got to talk about the meat of this movie, which are the kills and there are plenty there's actually more than 13 so it it broke that rule too so what you said brian very correct Breaking here all the rules um friday the 13th is known for its kills i mean it was the first body count movie in terms of like the american slasher um and you have tom savini to thank for that so this movie was the first one of those in terms of a mainstream horror movie in quite a long time up until that point. There hadn't been a big, huge body count slasher. Now we see this resurgence here in circa 2024, um, you know, with the mega slasher, Terrifier, Terrifier 2 and the like, and recently Thanksgiving, where we're in this kind of renaissance of brutal, awesome creative kills in movies. But at this time, it was like 
really special to see this kind of thing on screen again. You know, horror had kind of gone into the torture aspect and then a lot of haunted house shit. Um, so right off the top of your head, Brian, do you have a favorite kill or favorite kills in this movie that you wanted to mention? Uh, well, we already mentioned it. Uh, it's uh, Richie, I believe that's the character's name in the opening, who gets uh, the bear trap and the and the machete right through his skull. Yep. There's a special feature on the Blu-ray called the Seven Best Kills, where they break down like seven kill scenes in the movie, and I I really appreciate this uh, this little bonus featurette thing because it goes through and shows you how they did each each of the kills with minimal CGI. Uh, obviously they had CGI at their disposal, which they didn't necessarily in any of the prior films, or at least, uh, you know, any of the original prior films. But, um, this, uh, showed a real dedication to making the kills, uh, look real, as real as they possibly could, and doing it with minimal CGI. So, uh, again, um, just... I think his kill's certainly one of the most memorable. The way his, like, when he gets the machete through the face, like, one half of his face, like, starts to sag as if it's going to, like, slide right off, which is, like, an amazing detail. Um, But then uh, I also really love, I believe... Again, the characters' names in these movies, like who, who, who <laughs> can disposable? Remember? You're expendable. We don't care about your fucking name. We just want to remember how you were killed. But the one that always sticks out to me for a multitude of reasons is Chelsea, who is the blonde who goes uh, uh, waterboarding, wa- waterboarding, water, <laughs> water skiing, water skiing. Water- she gets waterboarded by Jason. That's how she dies. Oh my god! There's a huge reason why you love this kill, Brian. There's yes. two very large reasons. So I think in my brain I was trying to combine <laughs> wakeboarding and water skiing. So anyway, she um, Guantanamo in Bay. large and, and, and yes, and so um, of course this kind of this this kind of kill kind of encapsulates Friday the Thirteenth's essence as a franchise because you get in the same moment uh, you get blood, you get someone being stabbed. Through, through the head with a machete and you get um you know naked breasts uh and it's a beautiful sight um i, f- I feel like again uh, this shows a level of creativity where it's like okay what do we do because originally i think the character was supposed to drown yeah because she because jason is just waiting there for her and she can't return to shore so she just ends up getting tired tiring herself out how fucking drowning. boring is that i mean also it would have been mind, scary but she it, got it hit would've... by the boat too which would have killed her instantly but we're not going to talk about that but well i think that's a i spit on your grave reference personally i have no confirmation of this but i, I wouldn't be surprised yeah but anyway um uh what was i saying <laughs> tits Tits, yes. Uh, sorry, I was distracted by tits. Um, well, when you keep thinking about him, the scene right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, but but anyway, that shows five minutes. Yeah, there's a there's a catalog that uh, got sent to your house <laughs> <laughs> with a woman wearing a sweater. Yeah, that's the best I got. It's a no, form-fitting um, sweater. Yes. So anyway, uh, it it just shows that the filmmakers really thought practically, okay, what's going to excite the audience? What's going to titillate the audience? What's going to make the audience cheer? Um, you know, what's going to make the audience stand at attention. And uh, this scene in particular really, really, I think, nails it. Nice. Yeah, I I have three. So I already talked about one. I I love Mike's kill in the opening. 
Um, I think that's terrifying, uh, very, very gory, um, and then very kind of shock and awe. Uh, it's okay, mean-spirited, wait, very mean-spirited. I, I have to stop you. Who's Mike? Mike is um, uh, her boyfriend that gets Whitney's pulled down boyfriend. under the floorboards. When he oh, pulls yeah. him in, okay, yeah. his face Mike, is all bloody. a.k.a. Yeah. Bob, a.k.a. whoever. Uh, when he <laughs> whoever gets, the fuck. Uh, worthless camper number three. And then I love when Nolan gets killed just because it's like the arrow through the head and the look on his face doesn't even look like he's dead. It just looks like he's fucking high out of his mind. Well, that, well that moment too, like that's how you would react if you were alive and got an arrow through the head. You wouldn't immediately just, you know, in that over, moment. Yeah. In the theater, too. I Sorry, I have to keep bringing it up because I'm old as fuck, way older than you two, and I got to see it in the theater three times, and every time that that arrow hit, the crowd gasped. I mean, it was really an exciting moment. So yeah, Jason's quite quite the archer. That, that's a, he's that's a great a, shot, man. Yeah, he's he he should have gotten a professional archery. He's been well, he learned it at camp. Yeah. That's obviously. true. That's true. Um, yeah. And then the third kill that I like is um, I love when Trent finally gets killed in the final act where it's, you know, he's the truck stops the tow truck does and he's not sure like who's in there and that's really the only scene of that you get of one of these characters not trusting somebody else and granted they don't really get a lot of interaction with other people outside of the gas station and like the sheriff that's right. really it too but and then so he's taking his time and then he kind of relaxes jason pops up behind him stabs him and then throws him down onto the tow truck and then he's seeing feet dragging getting carried away love that and the and the audience goes finally right I only wish, not to say that wasn't a good pick, because it is. I think it takes entirely too long. I think it's like an hour and 24 minutes in. They make you stay with this character that fucking long. Just like you said earlier on, like usually they would kill off an asshole character. Um, But I think they were trying to make you feel something like maybe he is a good character. Maybe there's some redemption there. Then he cheats on his girlfriend. Exactly. But or I mean, th- but, or dude, they might have tried to get the audience to wait for it so it would be more satisfying when it finally yeah, happened. Yeah, it is true. I've always thought it was a little bit lackluster and it could have been cooler. But every time I see a tow truck now, much like every single time I see a really huge tractor trailer with logs on it, I think of Final Destination 2. Anytime I see a tow truck, I always think of Trent getting impaled. <laughs> so so these movies you. change you. Yeah, they, they really do. Um, for me, it, I'm shocked to no one else mentioned this, you know, because to me, one of my favorite kills way before this movie even came out was always the sleeping bag kill. And I loved that they did a new, really brutal and mean spirited spin on this. Amanda. God damn it. Um, gruesome. Uh, really uh, gruesome. Uh, played by uh, America Olivo. She was she got some other good films too. Stunning, and dude, you know what horror was lacking a lot of at that point in time, and what's lacking a lot in horror now is sex. And this movie's like, fuck it, we're gonna put the tits and ass and dick back into Friday the Thirteenth, and they do. Um, But her, dude, all she's trying to do is have a good time. She just wants to get laid too, and. She gets roasted alive, shoved in a sleeping bag, hanging over a fire. It's, I think, one of the best deaths of the entire franchise because she's up there burning, shrieking. I mean, it's horrifying. And then the sleeping bag just opens up and she just falls flat dead like fucking pile of meat, you know? Roasted. <laughs> Done. Um, another one for me, uh, which this is, this show is like how tr- well trained. And great of a hunter Jason is, Lawrence, when 
he throws that axe super far away and then you know goes through his chest and then Jason walks over turns him over and then shoves the axe from his back through his chest (laughs) absolutely just brutality man like that's just always been one of my favorite kills so those those two are probably my favorite but honest go ahead I was going to mention two more. Oh, feel free. Feel okay. free. So the the uh, the stoner character, Chewie, uh, why he's called Chewie, I don't know, but maybe he's a big Star Wars uh, fan. Yeah, sure. Trying to do Chewbacca. <laughs> that was what? pretty bad. That was, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sober, too. <laughs> um, he, get, he gets that screwdriver, like, right through his throat, and we were talking about when we were watching it together, which was a magical moment. Mm-hmm. Um uh the fact that that is one of the slowest kills in probably the franchise's history because usually Jason dispatches with people pretty quickly but here he looks Chewie dead in the eye and slowly inserts that screwdriver until he like basically chokes on his blood and it's really intense and uh I, I'm going to use a phrase that Justin uses approximately 25 times every episode it's very mean-spirited. <laughs> very true. It is mean-spirited, and it shows that Jason's actually enjoying killing these people. Anyone I mean, else? how could you not? Yeah. yeah. Get off uh, my goddamn land, motherfucker. And then when the police officer is... is uh, He gets that... What, is it an arrow? Like, what gets shoved it's through his eye? It's a fire poker. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He gets that fire poker shoved through his eye. The way that scene, or that kill is shot is so awesome. I have to take a moment to uh, appreciate the camera work in this movie, at least partially, because I think there's some truly awful camera work in this movie. (laughs) But uh, there are some immaculate shots in this thing, and one of them being when you see Jason stab the fire poker through the door and into into the police officer's eye, you follow the fire poker through the door to the other side. And that is so cool because again they it, it shows that they had a visual eye with wh- how to approach these kills um in a in a creative way which it's entirely possible we've seen it time and time and time again uh slasher movies being really lazy with their kills someone just yeah. gets stuck with a knife or whatever and it's not done with any uh pizzazz or flair uh flair or fanfare uh, but here, they really dedicated their time into making these kills uh, impactful. And the camera movement in that particular shot being a great example. I mean, this is crazy to think. I'm not sure if you guys were aware of this, but the man that did the cinematography for the film, Daniel Pearl, actually shot the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then ended up coming back for Marcus Nispel's remake as well and then shooting this. He also I sh- had no idea. He also shot The Boy. Your favorite movie, Brian. Um, Is that the movie about the boy? Yeah, about the boy. Yeah, but uh, that's insane to think that you had that kind of horror pedigree behind your cinematographer. And someone that did something, I mean, for the time when the original Texas Chainsaw came out, I mean, that was a, a very visually different looking movie And back in 1974. And then fast forward to 2009... You know, he was able to progress in terms of the visual look of his camera work. I mean, the Texas Chainsaw remake, even more so, 
is visually stunning in my opinion. Now, that movie along with this have that high gloss look. People like to call it the Michael Bay look because let's face it, Platinum Dooms produced these and Michael Bay's name was involved, so he technically produced the movies. Though, from what I've been told and what I've heard over the years is he had very little, if any, input on these movies. He just wanted to make money on them, which he did. Um, I think it's just the the influence of how horror movies were looking at that time. I mean, again, you can look at a film and tell when it like look at a, a given horror film and be like, oh yeah, that was released in two thousand nine or two thousand six or what have you, because um, everything just has that sickly greenish color filter on it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this was the Saw era, so you have some like sh- you know shaky camera work and the editing is super quick. Uh, and I, I have to say, uh, a lot of the editing in this movie is quite nauseating because of how quickly it cuts from one shot to the other. There mm-hmm. are plenty of gorgeous, like, you know, very um, placid, gliding kind of camera movements in this. And There's some, some nice great, establishing shots as well. Great wide shots, but I don't yeah. know if it, I don't know if you could narrow it down to, like, Marcus Nispel's, like, music video background or just, again, the influence of Saw in these movies, but th- there's there's some there's some pretty ugly camera work and editing choices in this movie. Um, but, uh, Brady, you were about to say something. Oh, I was just agreeing with you because it was something I said earlier where there are, like, the shaky camera really gets to me. The, the quick cut editing just is a, almost nauseating at times. And just something I kind of alluded to earlier, I, you know, I know they incorporated some of Manfredini's um, music in this, but it's not fully there. Steve Jablonski is here, um, who also worked with Nispel on Texas Chainsaw Remake. Uh, But what I don't really appreciate and that doesn't work for me is, you know, in the original films, you get that, that sting, right? the very like Jason's here like oh my god he's coming or like when he's the super Jason, high strings right yeah. the high strings are what gets it and here it's like a fucking assault on your eardrums like anytime he shows up it's like crashing music and it's like okay like this is a little like the first couple of times you're like okay that's impactful and then as the rest of the movie goes on it's every time he shows up I feel like I'm at a heavy metal concert and I'm like all right well I didn't need all that like I, I want no, yeah I want more of that heyday of like wow like the high strings it gets me like we talk about um Insidious the first film and like James Wan does the same thing when he uses those high strings in there and it's very, very effective. And I think it could have been here too. Yeah, I agree 100%. And a, a perfect example of a modern interpretation of that style is Marco Beltrami's stuff in the Scream movies, which I, I find to be some of the best work in any horror movies ever. And I did miss that style. To be clear, you know, we all love the music for the most part in the original Friday movies. Uh, Manfredini's stuff is very simple. Um, a lot of it sounds like Jaws, which was very clear. He, he said it. He's been very honest and open about it, that that's kind of like the approach that he had very low budget. He had very little to work with such a small crew to do the music. And a lot of it is just recycled in that series. So while the music is iconic and of course the key, 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 ma, 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 which is in this score that Jablonski, you know, continued to follow through with it's, it's intact. I would have loved a little bit more of a traditional slasher score in terms of like that orchestra sound where this is more electronic. Uh, I do love the opening, you know, you know, before the title hits, like that really fast pace. It's almost like electronica, like dark wave stuff, like bow, sure. yeah. bow, bow. And it's just like really fast paced and it's mean and hard and heavy, like you said. But it would have been nice to have a little bit of 
you know, a, a different feel throughout the movie depending on the scene. It just seems like it's hard hitting constantly and it could have let up a little bit. A little variety. I'm, I'm wondering if that's also they just figured um that it was that the sensibilities of the time, you know, people are desensitized now. They're, we we want to make them jump. We want to make them scared. And um, how do we do that other than having just like a booming fucking like <laughs> wall of sound come at you whenever Jason is on screen? And um, I mean, it definitely makes you jump. But you know, if I was if I was uh, struck with a cattle prod, I'd jump too. You know. So <laughs> I mean, it, it, listen, this is the guy that did the the score for Transformers. So I mean, that makes all subtleties the out the window. Yeah, yeah, Park. automatically. Um, but I don't hate the score. I was actually there should have been some Lincoln it. Park in this. Movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there could have been. <laughs> I was Your actually divide? jamming it, yeah. but before we started but you know it's 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 not the old scores it's really not it would have been cool to see them implement you know much like a lot of the other remakes of the time you know even i'm going to bring it up again i'm sorry brady but rob zombies remake you know what tyler bates did with that is just put a fresh coat of paint on carpenter's music and it was still had that halloween feel to it um here it just went really hard i think it fits in the movie overall but would have liked to seen uh, or heard rather more variety in the music, but again, also I that... love. I actually, I don't, I don't know if I love. I really enjoy Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. Uh, I was just trying to get away from it because I, I knew it would be uncomfortable for Brian to have that conversation on here. And as a guest, I didn't want to put him in that position. <laughs> listen, listen. Many, many years ago, uh, we did a full retrospective of his Halloween movies. That was like so many years ago. Oh, I listened um, to it, yeah. But if anyone's li- interested in hearing that, I'll put that a link to that in the show notes. Um, I, we, Brady, you and I need to... I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll pick your brain after okay. we're done here. It's entirely possible. You know, I, I've always considered revisiting, but, you know, that's another situation. Where this, I find myself revisiting this every couple years or so. I throw it on. It's fun. You know, there is a nostalgia to it for me because I went and saw it. As an adult, I got to have that Friday the 13th movie. Though, it is not the first Friday the 13th movie I saw in theaters because I saw Jason motherfucking X on opening night. (laughs) And none of y'all motherfuckers can say the same thing. So, you know, I have that one up on you and Jason X rules. So, it does. does. In your face. Um, (laughs) But, you know... (laughs) You know, while we're wrapping up, again, we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, the movie has tons of homages. The movie opens with seeing Mrs. Voorhees, which is obviously not played by Betsy Palmer, beheaded by a counselor on the shore of Crystal Lake uh, in 1980. So it kept it kept with, you know, the original lore in a way. Um, pretty spot on. Did you I have guys to... like how that was done? No. Well, I mean, the black and white... Well, okay, first of all... You were going to talk about the font, weren't you? If you're trying to make your audience scared, (laughs) do not put your titles in American typewriter font. God damn it. First of all, it looks like shit. Second of all, it's not scary. And third of all, intercutting that with the action of what's going on in the opening scene, the prologue, um, it, it... just instantly dissolves all tension and it makes it like it's like a it's like a funny thing like every time a new title comes up that's like first of all it, it's awkwardly it, it it's not even justified it's like you have the directed the word directed over like by and the word by is like off center it just looks terrible it looks terrible anyway spacing um, people spacing yeah uh justify your font if you're gonna anyway so um <laughs> uh, then uh 
the way that it's shot too, it's in black and white, which is fine, but um, it, I don't know if they filmed it for black and white or not because you can't see shit. Yeah, you can't see anything that goes on, and you when when the when the head comes off when you don't see the head going up in the air. It doesn't. It's not cool and iconic or no even like remotely interesting to watch like the original where it's slow motion and her you know Betsy Palmer's fake head flies in the air and with her man hands with the man up. hands <laughs> yeah. But I'm not saying Betsy Palmer has man hands. Those are not no, her hands. Not her hands. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's. It's interesting, too, like, you know, obviously they talk about how they wanted to make the original plan was to make this Jason more sympathetic. And then they kind of nixed that um, because they wanted to opt for this this terrifying killing machine, which we get. Um, But the opening, you know, it's it's a different kind of timeline because in the original, you know, it's set, you know, when he drowns, it's in the 50s. And then it's 1980 in present day in the original one and that's when mrs Voorhees goes on her her killing spree so and then in the second one it it takes place a year later so jason's you know an adult at that point we find out and this one you know it's set the events happen on friday the 13th 1980 and then jason's a small child there so why is he there if her murderous rage was because of him dying they still don't explain I mean, because I guess we're meant to assume that Jason doesn't drown. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees just thinks he drowned. So, like, Very why? True. So, like, why is he there? Like, watching all of this happen? Why uh, doesn't he say, "Hey, mom, I'm alive. It's okay." Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's never made sense from the very beginning. But I guess they had an opportunity to make it make sense, and they didn't really. I guess they just stuck to what I worked think, before. I, I <laughs> like, think it's what worked easily ignored quotes. because we all know that the end of the original Friday was not real. Alice does not really see, Jason doesn't really come out of the fucking water. Well, it wasn't meant to have sequels with Jason it wasn't. the killer. Why not make Jason the killer? Yeah, we'll just, Why make, not? We'll just make Jason the killer. Because uh, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> He's like, oh, we'll make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. We don't question these things. We're there. We're there to watch uh, big-breasted women get cut with a knife. Back then, he said, "It's not like we're making him smoke weed or anything. He's not growing it." <laughs> uh, the fact too that Jason, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the secret tunnels, the underground tunnels. That no. like what what made okay. I guess they figured out that they needed a way to explain why Jason can go from place to place undetected and how he can go from, you know, uh, being at this part of the camp to the other part. And it's like, we never questioned it. He's this force. He's an evil force. We don't need an explanation that he, it reminds me of Nacho Libre where it's like, how did you get down here so fast? It's like, shh, secret tunnels. <laughs> it's like, it's not meant to make sense. It just, yeah, it, it, in retrospect, it does seem like kind of like a joke. But I understand what they were trying to do. This was a new, fresh element they wanted to bring to the character. They were doing this realistic take. Um, you know, they even said this is their version of Batman Begins. They were trying to give an explanation and an origin and and make it all make sense. And you know, in retrospect, that was one of the biggest complaints from people. Like they didn't like that he had tunnels. They didn't like that they he had a prisoner, someone locked Not up, a fan that he that. chained up. You know, and the whole purpose to him is that because it reminds him of his mom. You know, we know the whole mama's boy thing is part of the character. So, you know, that's fully intact there. But it did feel a little bit off that he would actually take a hostage. 
you know? Yeah, it just doesn't seem like Jay. I mean, we've never seen him do it before, and who? I mean, it's possible that uh, for 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 a character that we know and love to be different, like just introduce new new things. That's totally fine. Um, but here, it just didn't really seem to work. Didn't no. really seem to fit the character. Um, and again, I'm not invested in the whole brother sister plot to begin with, so it just kind of felt like hat on a hat. Like I. I also felt like you didn't need her. Like you could have still had the same movie with her not even being a hostage, or, or like we could have had part four where Precisely, Clay is yeah. just there looking for her and then find, maybe finds her corpse. I do like how in the tunnel though you see Mark's wheelchair from part two. Yeah, that's a really cool that. thing. Yeah, that was a cool little homage there. You know, I love, um, you know, the the homage to. Part four, where Tommy Jarvis gets pulled through the window by Jason, where Clay gets pulled through the window. It's done, like, literally shot for shot, exactly. It's a great little moment, a great little surprise, though you're kind of expecting it. Um, You know, there's a bunch of others. But while we wrap this up and get to the end of the movie, the ending is really one of the biggest issues I have with the movie. It felt like, to me, they didn't know how to end it, or at least they didn't know how to end it with a bang, because they try to homage the original ending and what they end up with is something really lackluster and to be honest lame as fuck i don't like jason jumping out of the lake and attacking whitney and clay and we're we don't know if they actually make it or not um they're in the non-counted death section like she's dragged underwater right um we don't know what happens to him it just ends Um, we're not sure if what we're seeing is real or if it's a dream like it is in the original because um we're not seeing anyone fucking waking up after it just ends there it just it doesn't happen with Anissa Spence or anything you know what I I don't know if you agree with that or not but I mean I I I think it's fine I I I do agree that like you're kind of left scratching your head like okay well this isn't zombie Jason it I guess because I mean Jason's not uh it's never made clear that Jason is supernatural in this particular film well Um, it's it's clear based on what the filmmaker said but we know this is survivalist jason so it's entirely possible he's just trained himself i mean he's just down there being able to breathe underwater he has he he has a very amphibian jason he has a very (laughs) intricate system of breathing apparatus down there does he have tunnels built down there too (laughs) but like who 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 was able to survive Yeah, like, wasn't Jason, like, cut up and stabbed in the chest? And, like, no one can survive that. So are they are they implying that Jason is now supernatural zombie Jason? Or is this in the minds of the main characters? We don't really know. It just cuts to credits. We don't I think know. They were, I think they were trying to let the audience, like, have that final jump and then, bam, roll credits. That but, would be all fine and dandy, Brian, if the jump fucking landed it's well, just it lands with a fucking flop it's not exciting there's no suspense to it it's nothing like the end of the original now i know they knew we can't ever do that you know it's almost like the shark and jaws i mentioned this all the time as a reference but you saw it already come out the first time you'll never get that moment again but this was a reimagining so a, a, a younger audience might not remember or have ever seen that moment so it would have been cool had they done something at least they tried. It's just not shot well. It doesn't pan out. I hate the ending, honestly. I don't like it. That's the only thing about the movie that when I left, I was like, oh, man, they didn't stick the landing. But 
that's that's about all I have for the ending there. Um, before we wrap up the episode on this 15th anniversary retrospective on Marcus Nispel's Friday the 13th, 2009, in parentheses, remake, reimagining, whatever the fuck you want to call it, ladies and gentlemen, do you guys have any final thoughts? No, I think I, I think I summed it up. I, it's it's fun. Um, it's exciting. It's gory. It's got some very good kills, especially in that open. I do think that the opening to this movie is the very best that we get of this entire movie. Um, not to say the rest is shitty, but I think it's it it shoots its its shot very quickly, and then you don't get quite that high ever again. Sure, you get some good shots of Jason. You get some good kills, but it never fully capitalizes on that again. Um, that being said, it's definitely on my list to rewatch all the time, um, especially in terms of, of horror reboots and remakes. So, yeah, I'm always a fan of this one. And I'll, I don't always yell it from the roof right before getting thrown off by Jason, but I love it. Love it very much. I, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, again, in the terms of remakes in this era, you had some hits, you had some shits. And I would say that this is a hit. Um, it, it is a bog standard Friday the 13th movie with no frills, um, which is not necessarily derogatory because this is a franchise that you just, you know, return to and, and crack open a beer and get some friends together and just enjoy. Um I do think there are some missed opportunities there, but um, you know, in terms of um, in in terms of what this movie wanted to deliver with the kills and and with how they presented Jason, again, there are some shots of Jason in this that are all timers. There's the shot of him on the roof with the machete, and the camera's like gliding, and he turns. It's so good. So um, if 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 that's what you're looking for, then this movie delivers in spades. I would have loved to have seen a sequel. I know that they had several different ideas for a sequel. They 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 wanted to do one that was presented in found footage style, which I think would have been terrifying if done right, because it just seems like you can't really do found footage with Halloween, as we've seen with Halloween Resurrection. Um, it wouldn't have worked for Freddy, but for Jason, I think you could have made a really good, like, you know, Blair Witch Project inspired uh, found footage Jason movie. It would have been, it would have, it would have hit gold, I think. So I'm, I'm sad that they didn't ever get to uh, continue with the massive success of this movie. I don't necessarily know why they didn't. I guess sometimes these horror franchise movies are just hard to crack, and you know the 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 rights issues and all of that. But um, hopefully, one day in the very near future, we will see. Before a true, I die, please. Yeah, a true a movie true Friday the Thirteenth movie in I theaters. Yeah, that that'd be great. But uh, for now, we have this, and I'm I'm pleased with it. Yeah. Um. To your point about the sequel, I remember it was not that long. Uh, it was 2009, October, when they set a release date for the sequel um, for August of 2010. And then the sequel was pulled and delayed indefinitely. And, you know, Brad Fuller, who produced this one, the Platinum Dooms guy, um, known for all this stuff, announced that it wasn't happening. Um, you know, Shannon and Swift, they took their shot at writing the script for the sequel, you know, Warner's picked it up, did nothing with it. It's just, it was in development hell forever. And we're still waiting right now. But in terms of this one, I think I was very clear in how I felt about it. I mean, it, it did pretty much everything a Friday the 13th movie needed to do. Um, one of the best things about it is even though it had modern technology in the movie, unlike today, 
all of the characters were still doing things they would do in a Friday the 13th. They're playing beer pong. They're fucking each other. They're getting high. They're getting drunk. They're not just sitting around looking at their phones and bitching about how bad their life is while they're sitting in a fucking mansion in the woods. All right, listen, these kids, they still had the core of what they needed for what those kids did in those other movies. So it made sense. And there was an innocence, too. There was an innocence back then that, you know, Back then, good old 2009... Well, no, no, I'm talking about like in, in, in the 80s films, yes, like yes, there was yes. an innocence to those characters that these characters don't necessarily, didn't necessarily have. So I think that that's an element of what's missing from these guys. But um, Right, very true. But like I said, you know, compared to if one came out today, which I know a lot of fans have said, if they make another one, just set it in the 80s and that could go, I mean, at this point, that could go one way Why or not? the other, but whatever. Like this movie and much to what you guys both said. It is perfect, as we know, because we all got together the other night and did it that way. Friends sitting down on a Saturday night, a couple drinks here and there, you know, sex, drugs, booze, Mm -hmm. and Friday the 13th, and friends, and it just all makes sense. That's what this movie's meant to do. It's how it's meant to be watched, and that's the way we enjoy it. So, Hey, Justin. Yes. Your tits are stupendous. Oh, my God. You brought it up before I did because I was going to say that right before the episode ended. But, yes, also one of the best lines in the history of cinema itself. God damn it. That scene is great. He's a smooth smooth talker. That's for sure. Dude, well, you really know how to make a girl feel special, don't you? (laughs) So juicy, dude. Oh, God. Love it so fucking much. Yep, that's the way I miss movies being made. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for listening to this surprise bonus Friday the 13th retrospective. If this is your first time, thanks for listening. If you're a returning member of the listenership of Epic Film Guys, we love you. Your tits are stupendous. Uh, No matter what size they are, we love all sizes and shapes around here. But thanks so much for listening. You know, uh, if you haven't done so yet, leave us a review. Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really easy on Spotify. You just have to leave stars. You don't even have to write anything. Um, And while we're on every social media platform, at Epic Film Guys, you name it, we're there in every single podcast platform as well. But I'd like to personally thank you, Loisos, for returning to the show. It's been a while since you've been on. Um, Jeremy couldn't make this one and we just this was kind of a last minute thing we decided we had to throw down um you know it's it's a movie that i think deserves to be discussed and we fucking made it happen so thanks for coming on man thanks for having me it was a blast yeah love having always always a great time but as always i'm justin i'm b ratty i am loy sauce and as we like to ask you to remember to keep it creepy